designed to prayerfully give you a better understanding of who God is, what God is doing, and that you will raise your hand, or maybe for some of us, our tradition doesn't allow that, that our hearts will be uh, hopefully uh, warmed by what we hear about God and glorify his name. Uh, It's clear throughout scripture, we're not called just to glorify God by lifting our hand, but also stimulating our minds. Uh, We want to grow up and we want to mature in what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't do that just for ourselves. It would be rather comfortable to do that, wouldn't it? Uh, To simply put walls up around this building and we gather and we have a password. Some of you know what that password is, little rascals. Um, You have a password to get in here and we're a club and we're all just strong in and of ourselves. That'd be nice. It'd be very comfortable because we'd get along. We'd all agree on doctrine and we could sing the same songs and we'd feel really good about ourselves. But we would forget the clarion call of scripture in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all the world. We forget 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 where Paul calls us ambassador as, and we're going with Christ in his ministry of reconciliation to the world. We're telling men and women how they can be reconciled to their God and by the grace of God he will save them as they believe that message. Um, so we're called to glorify, mature, and go. Within our vision statement it takes it a little bit further. What are our goals for the future? We seek to be a God-glorifying intimate community. We want to grow in our intimacy with one another Um, We understand discipleship prayerfully as we grow in our understanding and application of God's word. As maturing disciples of Jesus, we provide hope by making disciples of our neighbors, the Lehigh Valley and the nations. I, I know we talked about this last week, but I don't want us to forget that it really is our responsibility not to save our neighbor, but to prayerfully be a light to him, to them, to her, to whomever God has placed in your world, that you see them, if they don't know Jesus, uh, as a person who was in need of him. And prayerfully, you see yourself as an evangelist. And that you prayerfully, prayerfully are seeking God's face on how you might interact with them. And not just our neighbors, but the Lehigh Valley and all the nations. Finally, the hope we proclaim is found in the gospel of grace. Isn't it wonderful to think about God saved us for his own good pleasure and his own power We believe as the gospel of grace is taught, believed, and lived, the people of God will be united. We're strategic in that language. We know that the whole world will not ever be united, but the people of God should. Uh, Paul tells us that in Ephesians 4, doesn't he? That we should be diligent to preserve the unity. He doesn't say create the unity. Preserve the unity that you already have. And brothers and sisters, what is the unity that we have? Well, it's not in our ethnicity. It's not in our gender. It's not in our good looks. It's in the precious blood of Jesus Christ that has paid the price that we could never pay, that has reconciled us to the Father, that unites us in love and in harmony and in peace in his beloved kingdom. He's transferred us from dark into light. That's the vision we want to take to the world. Well, this morning, we continue in looking at specific vision statements that we have made regarding certain items. Last week, we talked about biblical proclamation, and we talked about what that looks like. Well, most of you, I would assume, agreed with most of what was said about the authority of God's word and its proper place in the church. I am praying that as we talk about truth-focused celebration and worship, you have the same posture of leaving today. However... Talking about worship always makes people uncomfortable, especially aspects of worship called music. Notice what I said. Music, singing is an aspect of worship. It's not worship. Worship is much more than that, as we will see this morning. 
Worship begins with God, brothers and sisters. It begins with deep biblical thoughts about God. It begins with robust, expansive truths about God. It's about his greatness, his mercy, his power, his glory in the world as he has revealed it to us. As Calvin would say, to understand he is the only source of all virtue, justice, holiness, wisdom, truth, and power, goodness, mercy, life, and salvation. It's to ascribe, Calvin writes, and render to him glory of all that is good, to seek him above all and, and everything else. Him alone. We want to have every recourse to him alone. It's about God. It's about seeking and understanding who he is, and then our response to that is one of worship. He is worthy to be worshiped. And when you think about God, what thoughts enter your mind? It used to be an old song we sang at a previous church. When I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost. We used to sing and our church would get a little more vocal than here. It says, makes me want to shout, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, because he saved me. He has done a work that I couldn't do in and of myself. It invokes, I pray, passionate response, affections for God, gladness in him. It's okay to smile when you think of your salvation. We should have joy at the goodness of the Lord. I pray that it not only brings feelings of delight and gratitude and joy, but also reverent fear that we serve a God who is holy, a God that is satisfying a God that has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, that's good news. That's the gospel. He has made himself known as we understand that. We see that that permeates through all expressions in life. The God of the universe has chosen to make himself known to us. We live in such a way that our speaking and acting, our decision-making reflects the way we think about him. So brothers and sisters, can I ask you for a moment, what do you think about God? How do you reflect upon your relationship with God and his revelation to you in his word as he has shown himself to you? Worship happens, brothers and sisters, when we are gripped by these truths. As we think about God and his heart affections toward you in sending his only begotten son to die, I, most of you know, have been graced to have grandbaby number 18 and 19. And I think about these little precious ones and there's nothing I wouldn't do except give them back to my daughter uh, when they cry. There's nothing I wouldn't do for them within reason. But I surely wouldn't want them to give their lives for another. And I think about our lovely God, our merciful, kind God, who gives his only beloved son for us, monogamous his highly exalted son, the only begotten one for sinners such as ourselves. What a sacrifice. And when I think about that, my heart's warmed. I'm encouraged in the inner man because of the greatness of God. Brothers and sisters, that's worship. Brothers and sisters, that can happen in a car as you're driving along and a song hits you. And the notes that you would never try to sing here, you'll sing there. 
It, it happens when you're walking along, maybe exercising, and you look upon creation and you think about that God says, the little birds of the fields, brother, I, I, sister, I love you more than I love, than I love them, but I provide for them and I'll provide for you, Matthew 6. It, it happens when you go out at night and you look up at the stars and you say, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Day by day pours forth speech. So I think about the greatness of God and his intimacy and his desire to know me, to know us. And we know who we are and we're all struck by that. And that tear trickles down your face. That's worship. You haven't played a song. You haven't tapped your foot. You've simply thought about who God is and what he's doing. But brothers and sisters, there's often things that get in the way of worship. Reminds you, and we will get to Revelation 5, Re- worship has always been a chief priority of God. Can I remind you back in Exodus 3, God explains to Moses that I want my people to leave the nation of Israel and go out that they might worship me. Israel was to gather at Sinai to worship the living God, to worship the true God who had purchased them. But worship doesn't start, brothers and sisters, with the Israelites leaving Egypt. Worship started with the description of what we see of Cain and Abel as they make a sacrifice to God. One accepted, one not accepted. So there's always been a way in which God says, this is how you should approach me. But there's also been this idea of, I won't just accept anything. Now we're going to travel into deep waters today. Doors have been locked. Your Wi-Fi is going to go out right now. So no distractions, just kidding. Uh, we're we're going to talk about things that sometimes make Christians uncomfortable. Regulative principle and normative principle. What does God expect? We're going to talk about this morning, should we be clapping in church? Uh, should we remain silent? Should we have things on the walls? How has God told us to respond to him in worship? Some of this you maybe will hear for the first time. Some of you may say, I disagree with you, pastor, and we'll engage in discussion after the sermon on Monday or Tuesday. So I just introduced to you two concepts before we even get in that help us understand where I think we ought go in terms of how we worship God. In the Reformed tradition, we have something referred to as the regulative principle And it basically states this, that only those things that Scripture tells us to do or necessary inferences from them are permitted in worship. Anything without scriptural warrant is prohibited. In other words, we only do what God has commanded us that we do. We can glean some truths from that, but we're only called to do what he does. We get that understanding or most who follow the regular principle from Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. Let me read it for you. Now, Nadab and Abahu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put it in a fire and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Yes, brothers and sisters, God exercised his wrath, his righteous justice against them because they did something, they offered something that he was not pleased with and that he did not authorize So there is a way in which God prescribes worship. Now, the question we have, was it the 
actual act or the heart behind the act? Or was it both? We're not told that. I think it's safe to assume because they did what was unauthorized that their hearts probably were not in the right place. God had not told them what to do in the way in which they did it. They did not offer the way God wanted it done, so he killed them. They would say that this shows us that we must only do things in worship that God tells us to do. Well, there's a couple concerns I have with that. One, you may or may not like. He doesn't tell us in Scripture how long I should preach. (laughs) We're going to be postmodern. I get to have my own truth. We're not told specifically what time of day we should worship. Told to worship on the Lord's Day. Which is 6 o'clock okay? P.M.? 6 a.m.? Midnight? Some of them would say, and if you study the regular principle, by the way, the regular principle doesn't come around really till after the Reformation. I'm not sure what that says about the early church before that. Uh, last we checked, and somebody may have better historical records than me. I don't see an order of service from the, you know, the Council of Nicaea. What was their order of service? I don't know. We're not given a lot of information about how the early church did church. What was their process of worship? There are some things we can infer from Paul writing to Timothy and other letters that we'll talk about here in a moment. But the specifics of worship, we're not really told, do this, do this, do this, and do this, and do this. Well, for more regular principle, guys, because they hold to covenant theology, they place a lot of premium on the Old Testament and glean truths from there. Okay, you can follow that kind of logic. Some of that led to them not holding to any of the religious holidays that we would find normal. For example, if we were to say we're not having Christmas Eve service because of the regulative principle, God hasn't commanded it, what would most of you do? Some of you have. Some have left the church because we didn't have a Christmas Eve service one, one, one year. Got upset. What if we did no Good Friday? We're not commanded anywhere to celebrate Good Friday. Why do we do it? Puritans took it a little bit further and said we should not celebrate Christmas. It's not regulated by God. By the way, you won't see it anywhere in Scripture. If we follow the regulative principle, it means there's a lot of things that we should examine maybe a little bit differently and stop doing. It's one theory. Some of them say we should have nothing on the walls. Some of them only sing the Psalms. No instruments, a cappella. I guess they're consistent. It's one theory, the regulative principle. Second principle is the normative principle. Says that anything not forbidden in Scripture is permitted. What Scripture commands, we do, but we have freedom to go beyond those and introduce elements not commanded in the Bible if they are not prohibited, either expressly or implicitly. That's the kind of modus operandi of most churches. What's the problem with that one? Could be anything goes. Uh, I I could give you story after story after story of what churches do uh, I shared with the Bible study group we have on Wednesday a, a, a video of a church that put an actual roller coaster on the stage, and I will call that a stage at that church. They put a roller coaster and began to sing the old, I think it's a 70s song, Roller Coaster of Love at a church service. And they said that was worship. 
Perry Noble, some of you know him, former pastor, mega church pastor in California, or excuse me, in South Carolina, played Hell's Bells, ACDC. Said he felt that the spirit had led him to play that. And I was like, it was indeed a spirit, my brother. Just not a spirit of the Lord. Here was, here's, this was his pragmatic reason. Someone actually got saved from that song. I said, brother, if you think somebody got saved from you playing Hell's Bells, you have no understanding of the grace and glory of our God. So the normative principle says, it seems to open the door a little bit more for whatever. They would point to not Nadab and Abihu, but as we studied in the book of John, Jesus celebrated the Feast of Dedication. What's the problem with the Feast of Dedication and Jesus celebrating it? It's not found anywhere in the Old Testament. It's an intertestamental period where they began to celebrate the Feast of Lights. It's not in the Bible is my point. It's in the Apocrypha. Jesus is celebrating it. So brothers and sisters, I take you through all that to say, what do we do? How are we to worship? I would suggest to you that we kind of combine the two. We closely examine scripture. We closely examine what it says, but we also leave the door open for other forms of worship that we pray are acceptable to God, but we examine everything closely. We examine lyrics of songs. We examine how we pray. We examine how we present our gifts to the Lord, how we interact with one another, because all those things are acts of worship that God might be pleased to us, with us, that he not strike us dead. It's a hard concept, brothers and sisters. It's very, 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 very difficult. But I think it's a combination of the two. We consistently look to Scripture and glean truths from it. But I would not stand by it alone as the only authoritative measure for the prescribed way. I think there is a freedom in how we worship. But it needs to be examined rather closely. Now, again, that freedom does not extend. If I come up here and say, hey, you know, man, this earth, wind, and fire song hit me. It better hit me on the way here. Or when I leave this place, not in the presence of God's people. That is not acceptable. In my opinion, that is strange fire being offered to the Lord. All right, so I say all that to set us up for how do we learn to worship? If there is no manual in the Bible, where do we look? How do we look? I suggest that we looked at what we know worship will be like. We have a clear understanding from the Holy Writ of what worship will one day be like in glory. Let's turn our Bibles to Revelation. Revelation 4. Got a short time, and I'm going to be rushing unless somebody just says, amen, take your time, brother. That's what I heard that voice. I got that voice. Thank you, brother. <laughs> First thing we do, we envision exalting the attributes of the triune God. We want to grow in our understanding of who God is, and then that leads to further worship. I, I, I wish I could read all of this for you. You know the story of Revelation. John is caught up into during this vision on the Isle of Patmos, and he is able to see the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's this uncovering of truths not previously known, which is why we call it revelation, not illumination, about what heaven and what's happening in heaven. 
We're caught up into this wonderful picture starting in verse 5 of the throne room or the throne of God, and it's described there in various ways, and, and which are very, very interesting. But I want you to pay attention to what these, this, this, this creature, this, these, those that are worshiping God are saying about God. Number one, the Trisagion, holy, holy, holy. Heard that before, haven't we? If we remember Isaiah chapter 6, year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And he describes the worship that is there. Very similar here. Holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come, the eternality of God. They see God and they exalt God. Look at what they go on to say in verse 11. Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Look at your creative purposes. You created all things. We began to contemplate all that's around us, all that God has created. What a mind of God. I'm amazed at the body at times, and I, I listen to doctors. I don't understand what they're saying half the time. But man, they say, this works, and the eye works this way, and the ear works this way. And all these little intricate parts are fit knit, and perfectly God created that. What a mind. What power it is to create things. The creative interaction, man, I just sit back. My wife has these plants and tomatoes. I'm not, I don't have a green thumb last year. You can tell that, right? I, I don't like that stuff. Cool. I just like to eat it. Me and the squirrels, right? I'm just watching this stuff grow. Man, God, look at what you, look at how you've provided. Look at how you've orchestrated all this. You have created all things. They're worshiping for that. Because of your will, they existed. Can we pause there for a moment? Do you know why you're here? If your parents are here, you could look at them, right? Look at brother. Dad, it's because he, no, it's because of his will that we exist. All things exist because of God. I am here because the sovereign God has chosen it so. <laughs> it's not by accident. I just, you know, I just showed up one day. Your will, they existed and were created. When we think of praising God, we think of understanding who he is. Brothers and sisters, do we have time this morning to, ex to try to examine all that God is? Do we have enough time? We're talking about his incommunicable attributes, things that he shares, him and him alone. His aseity, his providence, sovereignty. We ain't even got the communicable love, mercy, kindness, patience. All that God is when we examine that leads us to a place of worship. That's where we want to get as a church because think about that. If I'm thinking about the goodness of God, what am I not thinking about? The problems and worries of this life, the things of this life we sing go, grow strangely dim. In the light of your glory and grace, when I think about the goodness of the Lord, not what Job does, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away Blessed be the name of the Lord. He sees through the trauma of losing all his kids. What's given, what's taken. Blessed be his name. Brothers and sisters, when you're maturing in your relationship with the Lord and the more you know about him, the things of this life, just it, it, I don't want to say they're insignificant because they're real and they're hurtful and they're painful, but you can see through it right to God and it leads you to a place of worship. That's what Christabel was singing about. I'm worshiping in the storm. There's hope in the storm because he's the Lord over the storm. He's the Lord in the storm. He's the Lord that will one day end the storm. And he's worthy of worship. 
We envision celebrating the wonders of our salvation. Now, this one might get good to me, y'all. I'm just going to apologize in the very beginning. Chapter 5, still in Revelation. There's this book, and if you read the first eight verses, there's a book that's being held, and uh, they're wondering who can take the book out of the hand of the one seated on the throne. And they say, is there no one, is there no one worthy to take the book or to look into the book? And John's weeping. I love this in, in verse 5. Stop weeping. John, why should you stop weeping? Because behold, the, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And he sees what doesn't make any sense. He sees a lamb as if slain coming to take the book out of his hand. And look at what he says. Worthy are you, in verse 9, to take the book and to break its seals for what? You were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Why that you get to us? That's us, brothers and sisters, that were redeemed by that blood. Worthy are you, God, because you redeemed the people who were estranged against you, who had no desire for you, but you changed their hearts. You called them to yourself, Thomas. When I think about that, when you think about who you were, what you were doing when God saved you, doesn't it lead to a place of worship? When you think about how wicked your heart was, how, how angry a person you were, I love that in 1 Corinthians 6, when Paul says, such were some of you, homosexuals and angry and idolaters, lustful, drunkards, such were you. Some of us, well, I just had pride issues. I didn't have all that. Oh, uh, that's all you had was pride. Okay. And he saved you. When I think about that salvation, I celebrate. I, I, I can hardly ever get through that song, Jesus, thank you. Because it's a mystery. The cross is a mystery to a, a person who understands that there are sinners. When we see ourselves at that woman sitting at Jesus' feet, crying because she knows who she is. And Jesus says, this woman, her sins are many. But I forgive her. And when we see ourselves like that, it can't help but, at least for me, invoke celebration. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We celebrate that, brothers and sisters. And some of you come from faith traditions, and I know you come around Bethel, and you say, man, that's not how they get down here. That's not what they do. They don't lift their hands like, man, don't let that stop you. There is no prescribed way of worshiping God when you think of this celebrating his goodness. Man, if you feel that God, I just want to raise my hand. God, I want to stand up and say thank you. You ain't, you're not going to get a problem on me. Others may, oh my goodness, what's going on? Where's my wallet? No, they wouldn't do that. This is strange. Some of you don't come from that background. That's fine. That, that would be just, just not who you are. Some of us do. We're very expressive. That's okay. If I'm trying to draw attention to his salvation and not myself. That's the difference. We envision celebrating the wonders of our salvation. I want you to notice, what haven't we talked about yet? And we're worshiping. We're talking about worship, but what haven't we talked about yet? Somebody heard say it. Singing. We're just thinking about God and his word and what he's done. His attributes and his salvation. We worship God by reading and faithfully proclaiming his word. Paul tells Timothy, that he should give himself to the reading of God's word publicly. 
1 Timothy 4.13, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Romans 10.17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Should be this public reading of Scripture. There should be uh, this time. I, I don't always give you all the verses because it's good for you to actually turn your devices or your Bibles to sections of Scripture and actually go over them and read them because faith comes by hearing God's word. That's why if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have access to a Bible, carry your Bibles here. Bring your Bibles. If you have a physical Bible, bring it. And it's okay to underline it. It's yours. You paid for it. Put a little mark by it. I want to remember this verse. Put a little note on it. Put some verses you want to remember. It's okay to do that. Study God's word. Faith comes by hearing. We want to read and faithfully proclaim his word. I know for the sake of time, oftentimes I get like, oh, I'm not going to read that section and I'm convicted. And you better read the Bible. If you don't do anything else, read God's word. Secondly, fervent prayer. That comes from the old KJV, James 5.16. That there's this passion in prayer. There's this desire to go to God. Jesus says that several times. It's three times and it's in all the synoptics. My house should be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves and it turned into something else. But God's house is a house of prayer. Jesus gets that from Isaiah 56 verse 7, which says this. Even those I will bring to my holy mount and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer. Listen to this. For all peoples, all the nations will come and gather in his house and pray and cry out with fervent prayer. We need God. We're dependent upon God. John 15, Jesus tells us very clearly, we can do nothing without him. We are dependent upon him. And that's what prayer basically is, brothers and sisters. It acknowledges, God, I cannot do this on my own. I need you. I would suggest to you that when we begin our prayer, we always start with adoration and praise to God before we simply go into our laundry list. We want to make sure that we are reading and faithfully proclaiming his word, fervently praying. Thirdly, Bible-centered singing. What does that mean? That the truths that we find expressed in our singing ought come from God's word. Singing in a corporate way is found 170 times in the Old Testament alone. We consistently read of God's people singing songs of ascent. We see in the Psalms as they're going up to Jerusalem, they're singing to God. They're giving praise to him with their voices. It's emphasized in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 4, 14, 15, Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, and Colossians 3, 16. In the Ephesians passage, the result of being filled with the Spirit, not with wine, with the dissipation, is this making melody in your heart. There's a song on our heart. And guess what we get to do corporately when we come to this place? We now we express it together. I've done it individually. Now I come in God's people and we sing together. I would suggest to you, and here's where we get a rub. And some people I know find Bethel boring. Started with the, I'm just, I wish I could like read minds just for a second, but you can't read mine though. Uh, you know, what were people doing when they heard that organ? What in the world? Who does organs anymore? I thought you guys had a cross sitting up on that thing. That thing's for like laundry, like, you know, stuff we buy, exercise machines and things that are home. It's not for use. You guys don't actually use that thing, do you? We do. 
sing and making melody in our hearts together. And we believe that worship ought not just engage the, the heart, the emotion, but also the head. What am I saying? That what we sing about God ought be true, ought make sense, ought come from God's word. But I believe that as we intellectually engage with the greatness of God, at the same time, the heart is stirred. It moves on your emotion. Now, we don't want to play to your emotion, that we're trying to manipulate your emotion. We want God's word to do that. We want the truths of God's word to so stimulate you that prayerfully your heart's stirred. Here's what's crazy in a church that is as diverse as ours. How God stimulates us emotionally is different for everybody in this room. I'm a big crybaby. I know this rough, tough exterior fools you quite often. I'm sitting up here by myself with my head down crying a lot. Ah, Lord, why'd you save me? Lord, I don't deserve to be here. Why are you so merciful to me? Others want to raise their hand. Others just will nod their That's fine, brothers and sisters. However God moves on you, you ought to feel comfortable being that way. But God should stimulate, God's word should stimulate both our heart and our head. Well, where do we get this from? Can I remind you of a passage? Don't get to exegete it like I want to. 1 Samuel 16. Anybody remember the story of 1 Samuel 16? There is something to the power of music. 1 Samuel 16 is the story of this great king of Israel, Saul. Okay. Um, he wasn't that great. He was a bad king. That was your point. Like, no, he wasn't great. And the Bible says that an evil spirit came and vexes his spirit. He is being accosted by this spirit. 1 Samuel 16, 23, we see these words. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed as, and, and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. I was wondering about that. Man, was David that skillful? Now, we'll read later that David was filled with the spirit, but something about the power of music to stimulate us it cannot be denied. And in my opinion, as we see the truth of God's word mixed with music, and it's well done, it's well played and well thought out, it can stimulate both the heart and the head. I believe worship should be joyful and free and expressive, never silly, never done flippantly. It should be done with dignity. It should be done with honor of our God and you. We should not just present to you anything. You are the people of God. We want to produce to you prayerfully something that is, that is quality, that has, again, been well thought out, so that we're reverent, so that we're honoring our God. All right, what about clapping? What about clapping as we're singing? Can I ask you this question, brothers and sisters? Why do you clap? Why do we clap in church? For some, it would be, I am responding to the person, the group, and I want to show my appreciation for them. That's problematic for the following reason. This is a chancel. This is not a stage. I, nor the worship team, perform for you. We are offering our sacrifices, our gifts to the Lord. So on the chancel, unlike a stage, this is a place of reverence that is sacred to God. He gets the glory. 
So if you're applauding me or them, that's displaced. They don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. God alone deserves it. Now, does that mean we don't clap in church? For me and my faith tradition, clapping is akin to amen. So in any, at least African-American church that I've ever been in, they would never say we're, we're exalted because we, we, we're taught that from, you don't exalt the, the pastor or the, you, talk, you clap to what they're singing about, who they're singing about. You've heard me clap. When I clap, it's based on a truth that I just heard. It's not for that person. It doesn't have anything to do with the note they hit or don't hit. It has to do with the truth that they have professed about my God. And I'm saying, amen, hallelujah, God. You're worthy, God. It has nothing to do with them. I love how one commentator put it. There is a difference between clapping at, at an act of worship or as an act of worship. Say that again. There's a difference between clapping for an act of worship and clapping as an act of worship. As an act of worship, it is simply saying, God, this is how I express my love for you. And some of us come from backgrounds where that's acceptable. That's almost invited. That's what you do. Amen. Amen, brother. Preach, brother. Preach. True, good brother. True, that's true. Bring it home, brother. I can see that's all y'all. I know that's what y'all do. I can just tell. I know y'all so want to do that. Nobody would say, man, oh, Christabel, ooh, bravo, bravo, bravo. Come on and take your bow, Christabel. No, they don't even want that. Can I tell you that, brothers and sisters? No one who is filled with the Spirit wants the applause and the, the, the attention drawn to themselves because they realize it's not about them. So I don't want you to hear, Pastor David said we can't clap in church. That's not what I said. You are not clapping for me and you're not clapping. We should not clap for the worship team. If you want to clack as an act of worship, God, thank you. You can do that anytime you want to. But to clack for an individual, it exalts the individual as opposed to exalting who we're supposed to be exalting in here this morning. All right, get through this real quick. What about, because I just know some of this has been on some of our thinking. What about music as we pray? Dun, 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 dun. What about background music as we pray? The problem with some of this, brothers and sisters, there is no scripture mandate for music as you pray in the background. You know, thus playeth this songeth as you prayeth. That's, there's nothing like that. Or don't play a songeth as you pray. There's, there, there's none of that. It is completely preference. For some brothers and sisters, what's always amazing for us, I can get a witness, Scott, and these guys will tell we get people, oh, I love it that you put music behind the prayer. Next person, I hate it, stop the music behind the praying. <sighs> resume, update resume tomorrow. You know, just like, are we really going to get, and here's where the principle I think lies, brothers and sisters, if it edifies my brother or my sister, shouldn't I be excited? On either side. Man, if my brother's edified by just silence, that's fine. And what Christabel and I have talked about is we're going to mix it. There'll be times you're going to hear silence. There'll be times you hear music. I can't tell her and you can't tell her. You're sinful by playing that. For not doing it or doing it. 
It's one of those things that's just a preference issue, brothers and sisters. And I think here's the shame when you elevate preference issues to law. In other words, it has to be done this way. It's very dangerous. Oh, my word. Um, I just looked at that. I promise. I, I did not pay attention. I'm sorry. A couple more things, and we'll get through these really quickly. Giving of financial gifts is a biblical concept for worship. It's an act of worship. Some of us come from traditions where you're singing while you're giving. Uh, what we have chosen to do here is, if you've noticed, especially in the last two years since COVID, we don't pass around a plate anymore. I don't think that's ever been a biblical idea, by the way. I just, I, I think the ancient Israel, what they did, they had the, they had the offering uh, set up around the temple, uh, the, the little giving stations, if you will, and you would give as you came into the temple. Now, what do we know? Jesus said there was a problem with the Pharisees because what did they do as they gave? Anybody remember? Come on. They blew horns. Hey, they're giving now. Bob's coming up to give. Gets his John Hancock on his check and he gives. And everybody, oh, Bob. No. Jesus says, you give and seek. You, you don't need to sound a horn. So we have little boxes in the back and downstairs that you give. But it is an act of worship as you give. You're giving in faith. But we don't make, we don't blow horns. We, we don't pass it around. Now, again, you guys know, if you come, anybody come from African-American Baptist churches, how did you give? Stand up, music played, and you'd march right up here in front and you'd give. Learning, I'm, I'm telling the truth. You'd have to stand up and give and don't come. I did this one plenty of times, didn't have anything in my hand, and I'd be just like this. <laughs> yep, because people are judging you. Man, ooh, someone so didn't give anything. We believe in the biblical idea of giving your financial gifts. You give in faith to the Lord. We don't need to sound horns. Number three, or excuse me, finally, celebrating the ordinance of baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's an act of worship. All right, let's, this is the last piece of it. Uh, we envision a church that expresses its love for God in various musical styles. What that basically means is we are trying to graduate or move to a place where it's not just one style of music. As you noticed this morning, we do contemporary. We do what's referred to as contemporary. We do hymns. I like to refer to them as modern hymns more than contemporary. But we do different those different flavors, if you will, of music. But what we pray is the uh, silver line through all of it is the truth of God's word. Um, we, what you probably will not see is rap. Christian rap probably will not be featured here. Uh, <laughs> call the note to Lecrae. We're going to get Le <laughs> We're probably not going to do that there, but we are going to celebrate various musical styles. We have people here from different backgrounds, and we believe those things honor God, by the way. I'd love to get to the point where we're doing just different flavors of music, whether it be a little Spanish flavor, a little gospel, um, African-American gospel, all that, just a little, a little something-something to it. Some of you know what something-something is. All right. Um, last piece of this. We vision a church where worship is not contained in the building, but in the lives of believers. In other words, brothers and sisters, worship does not start when you come to this building. Worship does not end here in a few moments when we close out. Worship is all of life. Worship is all that we do. I remind you of a verse that we all know probably by heart, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. That light shining is done out there. 
As you think of the attributes of God, as you think of your salvation, as you declare his name out there, that is an act of worship. All that you do is an act of worship. When you go to work tomorrow morning, when you're interacting with your family over a meal here in a few moments and you give thanks for that meal, when you give thanks for your waitress, when you give thanks for the ability to pay for that meal, when you give thanks for the car that you drove here, there is nothing in life that we can't just say, Lord, I thank you for. You gave me health, life, and strength today. All of life is to be lived in thanksgiving under this beatific vision of who God is. And God gets glory in all our actions, all that we say, do, and think. He receives honor and glory. Let's close in prayer. Father, we do not want to offer strange fire. We do not want to have man-centered worship. We don't want our truths to be pragmatic. Well, this is what the people like, so we'll play it. No, we want to say this, this is what God's word says about any given situation. And we want to sing about it. We want to read about it. We want to pray about it. We want to proclaim here all of that to your glory. And Father, I pray that our congregation, especially so many different backgrounds, some are born and bred Bethel, some are new to Bethel, some have no idea what Bethel's all about. Lord, that all that stuff would be worked out as peripheral, as some of it preferential, but that we would get the truth of your word and that would be our foundation as a body. And Lord, we pray that this area of worship would not be a stumbling block. That we would look to what we see in Revelation and truly, truly, truly desire to honor you, to glorify your name. We love you, Father. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen.